So like Paul read earlier this morning, today's scripture comes from the Psalms. Psalm 40, which is a psalm of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha! Aha! But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Last week, Jason brought a message about our identity in Christ, and Jason was so encouraging to point out that God can take our mess and turn it into our message. And this week, I'd like to share with you a testimony, but not my specific testimony, but definitely one that I can relate to you, relate to. Instead, it's the testimony of King David, and, and it's the one that is found in Psalm 40 that that was just shared. David was the king of Israel about 3,000 years ago, and he was a shepherd. He was a poet. He, he wrote Psalm 23, that famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's psalm 23, that was David. But there were times when he 
turned from pursuing God and he chose his own desires, his own, his own wants, and turned to sin. There's, we're told of a time when he committed adultery and then committed murder to cover it up. And yet God forgave him. And God describes David as a man after his own heart. So Psalm 40, which was just read, is a testimony of David that we're going to look at. And we don't know much about these circumstances that he was going through. We, we could probably tie them to many different points in his life. We don't know when it happened. Um, we don't know specifically what he was going through. But here's what we do know as we look at Psalm 40. We do know that David was a man of God. And we do know that David at times messed up. And we know that through it all, God was faithful. So, let's take a look at Psalm 40. We just read some of these, some of these verses, but we're going to look at uh, just a few of them. I'm sorry if that's too small to see up there, uh, but I'll, I'll read these first five verses. I, remember, this is a testimony of David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song on my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. David describes being in a pit. And he describes it this way. He describes it as a horrible, slimy, desolate, pit of destruction and despair. So I didn't read all those words. Well, if you take three or four different translations, those are all words from, for the same verse in that translation, those different translations. A miry bog, muddy clay. Have you ever tried to, how many of you have ever been in muddy clay before? with shoes on, and when you tried to step out of it, it yanks the shoes right off your feet. Or you get even more stuck the more you squirm and, 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 and try to climb out of it. David is in this. And being in the pit, my transitions are a little bit slow. So if we think about that little character right there, um, David's in this pit. And being in the pit could be the result of any kind of trouble. But for David in this circumstance, a lot of the times it was because of sin. Um, He's experiencing the consequences of it. But discouragement, despair, trouble can be a variety of different things that put us into that pit. You know, it could be obviously for sin, but it could also be defeat. Have you ever felt like you just can't win? Like every attempt at success is met with frustration. Maybe work or school, maybe your home, your marriage, parenting, some other relationship that you have. 
You might even feel like your entire life has been one long attempt at success, and yet you would chalk it all up as failure. You're not sure that you've ever succeeded at anything. I don't know what your particular situation might be if you can relate to just saying, you know, my life has been defeat. But let me just say, give a little bit of encouragement that God does have a plan for your life. And he loves you and he is good. And the place for you to begin, if you're in this pit of defeat, the place for you to begin is the same place that David began. He began by bringing his trouble to the Lord, bringing his defeat to the Lord. Maybe, maybe defeat isn't what you would point to, but you could say, you know, I've been in a pit of bad habits. Some of your bad habits could be incredibly destructive, could be a form of addiction that would, could literally wreck your life. But it could also be something that is a habit that, that you might chalk up and just say it's bad manners, the bad habits of anger or temper or self-pity or laziness. But you can find yourself in a pit that is formed by your own bad habits, something that you know you need deliverance from. And you find yourself in a discouraging pit of trouble caused by those bad habits. Or maybe it could be a pit of circumstances. Have you ever heard of the prophet Jeremiah? Man of God. He was a preacher. He had a, he had a message to give. But proclaiming God's message angered the people he was around. So they took him, they tied him up, and they threw him into a literal pit, an empty cistern that was muddy and slimy, and he would sink into it. Um, And we can find ourselves in pits that are caused by trials that, that... really have nothing to do with our own decisions or or sin or bad habits or anything like that. It's just from following the Lord, we find ourselves in pits that are trials and frustration and difficulty that comes about because we're being obedient to God. One of the things that encourages me is that as David found himself in a pit, he was both loved by God and he was a saint after God's own heart. One commentator that as I was studying this, he said, muddy times may be the experience even of the greatest saints and slimy pits the lot of even kings and preachers. So if you're in a pit right now, don't feel like it is, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is only because of your own choices and your own sin. But it certainly can be. Um, and that's probably the angle that we're going to be taking more of today and considering this is, you know, I, I, I remember Pastor Matt speaking a couple of weeks ago and talking about circumstances. And he say the circumstances are the circumstances of my own bad choices. And how can God use that for good? All things work together for good. How do we get there? How do, we, how do we get into some of these pits? Um, for David, in this situation, he realizes that he's in a pit of his own making, caused by his own sin. Well, obviously, he slipped up. He gave in to temptation. But, you know, I think a lot of times we give in to temptation simply by getting a little too comfortable. We get a little too close to the edge. 
might be feeling a little bit good about our lives, might be, might be a little bit confident. We're not too concerned. You know, if you're sitting on the edge right now, you might be asking yourself a question. Now, you're at church, so I don't think, I don't think you're necessarily in this case, but if you can identify yourself with being on the edge, here's a way that you can do so. Maybe you're sitting here and you're wondering and asking yourself the question, why are we even talking about this subject today? Why is spiritual struggle a topic of conversation? That's just negative talk. I came to church wanting to hear some positivity today. And if that's what you're asking yourself, can I tell you, you can probably identify with that blue character up there on the screen. Because this is the Christian that's described in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If anyone thinks that he stands, watch out, because you're probably going to fall. If anyone thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Do you know that verse 13 is the very famous verse? That says that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with that temptation will provide a way of escape. If you think you're standing, watch out. If you think you're confident, watch out. Because temptation is right around the corner. But even then there's some hope. Because God will provide that way of escape. Oh, temptation. Temptation. If temptation wasn't so attractive, it wouldn't be called temptation. It's desirable. It's pleasurable. It's enticing. Yes, temptation comes and speaks to your desires, and then we bite. The Bible describes sin as pleasurable, but that it's only pleasurable for a season. I don't know if you can see it up there, but there's a smile on that purple guy's face. He's enjoying the fall right now. He's enjoying the fact that he's giving into temptation. He hasn't hit the bottom yet. But notice also that he's already in the pit. He's already there. They don't care. Maybe they don't care because they haven't faced the consequences of their sin yet. Maybe they haven't faced the consequences of rejecting and resisting God. They're likely not too interested in hearing a convicting sermon. Not too interested in reading their Bible. Not too interested in spending a little bit of time in prayer. Why? Because that would take away from and confront them in the joy that they're having that's found in temptation. But you know, we've also got a contrast. We've got the guy in the pit. We've got the guy on the edge of the pit. Girl, guy. We've got the one that's falling. And then we've got the person on the rock who said, I waited patiently for the Lord. This person was in the pit God inclined to me. He heard my cry. He drew me up from this pit of destruction out of the miry bog. He set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. When David was in this pit, he looked to the Lord, he prayed, and he waited for the Lord to act. And then God rescued him. Now he's secure. Now he's stable. Now he's rejoicing. Has God ever rescued you? If you are a believer in Christ, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, actually, you know what? We might as well just say it. Every person, every every human being in this world has been in the pit of destruction, and it is caused by sin. Every one of us have been there. 
if you're on the rock today, it's because you were once in the pit and you've been delivered out. It is our human nature to reject God. It is our human nature to say no to God. And it all boils down to the fact that you were made with a purpose, and that purpose is to do exactly what God has called you to. He made you for himself. He made you for his happiness. But when we are pursuing our own way, we're rejecting him. And if you haven't ever encountered Jesus Christ, you are in that pit right now, and you are on a trajectory toward a place of destruction called hell. And you need the rescue of Jesus Christ. And it should be the testimony of every person who has put their trust in Jesus Christ that I once was lost, but now I have been found. I once was dying, and now I have life. That you had an old sinful nature that only wanted to rebel against God and to do your own thing, and now you have a new nature that you have been made a new creation because you have been crucified with Christ, and now you live through him that that should be your testimony. It should be your story of salvation. But look at verse three. I don't know if you can see it. I know it's a tiny, tiny up there, but that right there at the bottom, he put a new song in my mouth. If he has delivered you, then your right response is to praise and worship. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise and thanks to God. Many will see it and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Don't forget what God's done for you. Don't be silent. Praising the Lord for his deliverance and his salvation in your life is a way to let the whole world know of Jesus' love for them. You know, there are some other ways that we might interact with the pit of despair and destruction. Um, If you look right up there, we've got a bridge going across between this gap. Now, this is just a metaphor. It's just an illustration. But sometimes God takes us near pits. Sometimes God will take us around pits. And sometimes he's going to take you over over them. Do you remember that just before Jesus started his public ministry, do you know what God, the Holy Spirit, had Jesus do? He led, Jesus was following the Holy Spirit and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. Do you know what it says in Matthew 4.1, the reason why he was led into the wilderness? Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I'm reminded of Psalm 23, another Psalm of David. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. When we're saying that poem, when we're saying Psalm 23, we often like to separate those two phrases from one another. But in a path of righteousness, God will lead you through a valley of death circumstances, obedience to God, circumstances that might result in you being thrown into a slimy cistern like Jeremiah. They're difficult times. But let me also remind you of what Pastor Matt has faithfully taught us over the last couple of weeks. God is working out his purpose on multiple fronts to allow you to experience the greatest joy possible. God will allow bad things to happen to us in order to show us his presence and the reality of his working in our lives. Nothing 
escapes that promise. Nothing escapes this promise. There are no exceptions. All things work together for good. Romans 8, 28. So, God may lead us near a pit. He may lead us around a pit. And he may lead us over a pit. And while we're crossing that bridge, we may sense and we may smell the fear of falling into it. But God can lead us across if we keep our eyes fixed on him, following his lead. But so often, though, while following him, we may slip up a little bit, find ourselves just barely hanging on. We're so tempted to let go, but we haven't yet. We're still fighting to look to Christ. We haven't given up. We're barely hanging on, but we're still hanging on. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been tempted to just give up on faith? Does the Christian life ever get so hard that you're just not sure if you want to keep doing it? This Christian right here needs some encouragement. Needs some encouragement. Oh, praise the Lord for the friends who come alongside and bear our burdens with us. And church, let's be one who's watching out for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's be looking out for one another, encouraging one another. Not just giving those words of encouragement, but maybe going into a pit with someone else getting a little bit dirty with someone else in order to help them out, in order to give them a hand to encourage them? What about you? So we look at all these different characters up here. It's a pit of despair, slimy pit, trouble. Do you identify with any of those characters? How many of these scenarios have you ever been in? Think about your own Christian life, your Christian walk. How many of those scenarios have you been in? Which one are you in right now? Let me remind you that God will use your circumstance for your good and for his glory. Let's look at Psalm 40, verse 4. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not go Uh, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. This verse right here, to me, is pointing out that we have a choice, day by day, moment by moment, to remember that we exist for the glory of the Almighty God. He is good and He is trustworthy, so make Him your trust. Temptations and lies will look oh so attractive. But we have a choice. The choice is to chase a lie or to trust in the Lord. Make the Lord your trust. Like what? And in what circumstances? Okay, so maybe, maybe you've got friends. Maybe you've got some friends who have stopped acting like friends to you. You ever been there? The temptation is that because of that trouble, because the friends aren't really being friendly anymore, Satan might whisper in your ear, hey, you know, you know your friends are treating you this way because you're just not cool enough. You know, the reason your friends aren't acting like friends is because you're too much of a church kid. 
So when we hear that whisper, Satan's trying to get you to believe a lie, believe that you need to change your behavior in order to be acceptable. And what should your response be? Your response should be to trust the Lord. So what does trusting the Lord look like in this circumstance? Well, first you pray, you call out to God, you let him know that trouble and temptation are nearby. Lord, I'm struggling with friendships. Second, remember that the battle is in your mind. Did you know that you're constantly talking to yourself? How many of you would say that as you go through the day, you've got a running commentary going on in your head? <laughs> I'm seeing a couple of head nods. It's just, all, it's ongoing. You've got a com- running commentary going on. We're always talking to ourselves. Well, when we get these thoughts of trouble and temptation, that is talking that's happening inside your mind, but it's the wrong kind of talking. So what we need to do when we're making the Lord our trust is we've got to start preaching truth back to ourselves, talking to ourselves, filling our minds with what is true rather than what is a lie. The temptation. Like what? Like verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell them, yet they are more than can be told. In other words... Fill your mind and remember the great things that God has done in your life. Also, you see that this is a form of praise and gratitude and thankfulness? So often when we get discouraged and we get into into the trap of temptation, it's because we are thinking that something else might be better than our own circumstance or our own situation. And we need to respond with gratitude. We need to respond with thanks. It's the opposite of focusing on what you don't have rather than focusing on what you do have, which is God's love and his presence. So, what about this circumstance? Your job has gotten you down. Work is hard. It's just not working out, even though you're putting in more hours and more effort. So the temptation, Satan starts whispering in your ear, you need to find rest. You need to find relief in your old familiar ways. You just need to take a break from everything. You're so tired. You don't need to spend time in the word today. You'll feel so much better if you just relax with. And then Satan describes that thing that you used to run to all the time before Jesus. That old habit, that old temptation that God's delivered you from. That acts for you in your flesh as a kind of salve to make you feel better. When you hear that whisper, realize that you're being tempted from your enemies. Remember the world, the flesh, the devil? You're being tempted by your enemies, the, the, the world, the cosmos, the self, the sarcos, and the devil, the diablos. We just, we just call them those names here at, at Valley the last couple of weeks just to help us remember, right? The different names. Satan wants you to believe the lie that God isn't enough, and he is. So the response of trust You acknowledge the temptation. Just acknowledge it. Call out to God for help and then go to battle with prayer. God, I need you. I'm being tempted right now in this way. And then you call to mind scripture. In this case, Psalm 40, verse five. And you remember God's goodness. So you start making a list. Maybe you remember how God saved you. Maybe you remember what God saved you from. Maybe you just remember the circumstances that you have that are good. What about your family? What about the tangible things of the fact that you've got a roof over your head? You've got a bed to sleep in. Maybe you don't even have that, but you can thank 
the Lord for the good things that he has given you and the fact that you have a shirt on your back and you can feel the warmth of the sun. God is good and he has blessed you. So make that list of the physical blessings and the spiritual blessings. But we think about David and we think about the pit. David starts describing how God has delivered him, how he's now joyful, how he has opportunity to praise the Lord publicly. And so he does. He worships God publicly so that people know of God's goodness to him. And David recalls his spiritual experience. So check out David's experience here. He says, in sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come and in the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here, both now and then a little bit later. But, but this is David describing his experience. He has been forgiven of his sin, and now he wants to be faithful in his relationship with God. And he has this realization. He has this realization that his relationship with God is not based on works. It's not what he does. It's not what he doesn't do. His relationship with God is based on the work of Jesus Christ himself. His relationship with God is not based on sacrifice. In other words, it's not ritual or religious formality. But God has given him an open ear, a heart that's saying, God, I'm listening to you and I'm ready to obey you. And God has written his law in David's heart. David is saying, God, you have done a work in my life I've experienced your working and you are transforming me so much so that I delight to do your will. This morning I'm walking and I'm praying and I'm like, God, I want to do whatever you want me to do, wherever, whenever. And it could be two hours later and I'm having a tempting thought. And that attitude isn't even there of following God. When God changes you and transforms you. He makes you a new creature, a new creation. And have you ever identified with the idea and the desire that you want to follow God with your whole life? That is God at work in you, in your new, in your self as a new creation. Those ideas did not come from your sinful nature. Those ideas did not come from your flesh. This is a fact. If you, want to, if you have wanted to do God's will, and that has been inside of you, that is a work of God in your life. Because the old man, the old sinful man, does not even want it. It is unnatural to think, I want to do what God wants me to do. That is unnatural. And here David's saying, I was in a pit. You've pulled me out. You set me on a rock. And now I want to do your will. This is evidence of the fact, God, that you are at work in my life. This is evidence of the fact that you have changed me. And this is an awesome and wonderful and beautiful thing. Okay. Just elaborating a little bit on those verses, right? I want you to remember that part, okay? So let's look at the next verses. Verses 9 through 10. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Where is your identity? 
Is your identity in what you were or is your identity in what you are? Do you remember last week, Jason talking about how, about how, how your shame is not, no longer your identity, but instead God can use it to become your message. Where is your identity? Where's your story? The company that I work for in Boulder is called Glue, and, and, and it interacts a lot with the recovery industry. You know, those organizations who help people recover from addiction. So what I've been, you know, as I'm working in that environment, I'm hearing some of these different things. I don't work directly with the recovery industry myself, but I get to overhear some things. And what's become apparent is that people who have been rescued from addiction, those who have been delivered, they aren't, to, they aren't ashamed to talk about their deliverance. You don't have to sit very long with someone whose identity used to be defined by their addiction before they're saying eagerly, can I just tell you about my life? Can I just tell you my story? Because they have a new identity. They have been changed. They have been transformed. And as Christians, our identity is no longer our pit. Our identity is now Jesus Christ, our rock. So from verse 10, now we get to verse 11, and something's changed. Psalm 40, David's saying, I was in a pit, now I'm on a rock, I'm rejoicing and I'm praising you, and this is the story of my life. You have used me to tell of your love, not only in the congregation, but the whole world has seen and heard what you have done in my life, and it has been awesome, and I've been changed from the inside out. I delight to do your will, and then we get to verse 11, As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me because evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities, my sin, my evil has overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart... My heart that says, I delight to do your will. My heart that says, I know what you want for me. My heart fails me. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where one part of you says, God, I want to follow you. And the other part of you says, I'm covered in sin. you ever been there verse 13 be pleased O lord to deliver me O lord make haste to help me let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me aha aha you say you're a christian i saw what you did on friday Maybe you screwed up at work. And in screwing up, you lost your temper. And you did very unchristian things. And those unbelieving co-workers, they can't wait to get you to see them shaking their head at you. Wag their finger at you in your face. Or at school, Kids saying, 
I've seen you. You're no different than me. Satan wants nothing more than to, for you to believe the lie that you are in a pit and you have no deliverance. He wants you to stay there and wallow and feel defeated. So David's now saying, God, I need your mercy. God, I need your love. God, I need your faithfulness. I need you to keep me from destruction. And in these verses, I think that what's happened is that David has been tempted to sin again. And David's like, again? And now all he sees are his sins. He says in verse 12 that they're more than the hairs of his head. His sins have overtaken him. David feels like, and let's go ahead and transition to the next slide here. David feels like he's in trouble. And he feels like sin is at least partly to blame. Can go ahead and hit the next transition. He feels like sin's partly to blame. Perhaps, perhaps you have been there before. And you've got all kinds of regret. Maybe you're a spiritually introspective person. Have you ever gone through discouragement or experienced accusations or lack of success in whatever endeavor it might be? Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your parenting skills or your adult kids aren't doing well. Do you blame yourself? Do you have regret? See, here's where the rubber meets the road. I believe that this psalm is actually an example of how to be joyful in introspective repentance. Do you get what I'm saying here? How to be joyful in introspective repentance. You, skin, you sinned again. Your Peter, Jesus, looks at you and he says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And then you do it. Do you think that, when did Jesus forgive him? When did Jesus want Peter to have victory? I don't think Jesus wanted him to deny him three times. But before Peter even denied him three times, Jesus is saying, Peter, I love you. And when you have returned... Jesus knows that Peter's going to fall. And he loves him. We've got, and later on, I don't, I don't know if you guys realize this, Peter denied Christ because of fear of man. He denied Christ because of fear of man. Later on in Galatians, it turns out that Peter, Peter went and he did not act the way a Christian should act. He feared man again 
and he didn't associate with Gentile believers. Instead, he associated with Jewish believers. He practiced a little bit of segregation in his, in his Christian walk, right? Why? Because of fear of man. He did it again. He sinned again. You, you get around and you, have you ever, you, you realize that you did it again. Okay. All right. How many times does Jesus say that we ought to forgive one another? 70 times 7, right? Lots of times. Forgive one another. If that's what Jesus says that we're supposed to do with one another, do you think that Jesus is the pattern of that as well? Here's another question. Well, not a question. Just think about it. God has already forgiven you for all of your sins that you will commit. He did so on the cross. And yet, when we mess up again, maybe it's in the middle of the act when you realize what you're doing and you stop and you, you stop and you repent and you realize that what you were doing was wrong. And even though you were in the middle of it, you stop and then you say, God, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have done that. But then you start to self-evaluate and you're like, what is wrong with me? This psalm is for us who in our introspection we are confronted with our sin over and over again and yet we have been forgiven. Because as Christians, we remember that Proverbs 24, 16 says the righteous falls seven times and rises again. And as Christians, we have this dual nature. We have our old sinful nature, and yet we are new creatures. We may have fallen, but we've confessed and we've experienced God's forgiveness, as it says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. It is the right thing for him to do. He is just to forgive us of our sins. Or we've been confronted with our sinful nature, our self. We're being tempted to self-condemn. But we've got to remember the work of Christ and only look to Jesus because only Jesus has the right to condemn you. Listen to me. Only Jesus has the right to condemn you. I don't have the right to look at your life and condemn you. The person sitting next to you doesn't have the right to look at your life and condemn you. You don't have the right to look at your life and condemn you, yourself. Listen to this, Romans 7, 23 through 8, 1. I see another, this is Paul describing that dual nature, that, that struggle that he has with himself. I see another law working in, within me, waging against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here's the dual nature. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. And the very next verse, the very next verse, we, we split it up because there's a chapter break right there, but we humans put the chapter there. Paul didn't put the chapter there. I am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. The very next verse says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The only 
person who has the right to condemn you, especially if you are already forgiven, is Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, there is no condemnation. So, David and Psalm 40, he's saved, he's rescued, he's changed, he's transformed, he's praising the Lord, but he still falls. But even though he's fallen, he's turned back and he's repented and he's forgiven, but he's still in the pit. Have you been there? This psalm is that kind of prayer. This psalm is an example of how we can acknowledge our sin and our regret and yet remain joyful, joyful in repentance and forgiveness. How can we extract joy from a slimy sin-caused pit? David remembered where he's been. He remembered what he's done. He remembered what God has done. He praises the Lord. He rejoices that God has changed him. He remembers who God is. And this is how David ends the poem. Verse 16. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Verse 1 of Psalm 40 started out, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. And here at the end of the psalm, he says, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. By waiting patiently for the Lord, God pulled him up out of the muck and the mire and set his feet on a rock, giving him security and stability. And now here he is at the end of the psalm with his sins ever before his face. And yet he knows that he is forgiven and he's directed his attention to Jesus Christ. He's directed his attention to his Messiah. And he says, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. So what are the takeaways? Number one, remember God's promises. Number two, remember who God is. Number three, when you fall, be quick to confess. That's what David did in verse 12. He realized he fell. He got back up. He ran to Christ. Number four, run to Christ. Pray, seek deliverance. Number five, while praying, trust him. Wait, be patient, and act on his promises. Number six is the last one. Finally, know, please church, understand this. Know and understand that we don't wait for God to deliver us by not fighting. We definitely don't wait. We definitely do wait for the battle to end. But until the battle of temptation is over, We trust and we commit to believing that God will follow through on the deliverance that he has promised us. We don't wait by not fighting. We keep fighting to believe his promises. And with great joy, we can sing the song that we sang just before I came up here. He 
will hold me fast until my faith is turned to sight. Dear Father, thank you so much for how you have ministered to me through the study of this psalm. Lord, I pray that you will be exalted and I pray that we as a church, no matter how we find ourselves in and around a pit of destruction, whether we're standing firm on a rock and rejoicing or whether we're stuck in the muck and mire, may we turn to you and look to you and wait patiently for for, for you. For those of us who can help one another, Lord, let us not be blind. Let us not be deaf to hearing and seeing those who need help in our church. May we encourage, may we offer the hand of encouragement. May we pray with one another. May your word and your promises be alive to us. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you will be exalted and that you will help us to wait on you. In Jesus' name, amen.